We live in a divided world, divided religiously, politically, and economically. Oftentimes in our world, we want to run away from tough conversations that divide us about grief, pain, and loss. We want to avoid topics like shame, guilt, and pride. We'd rather escape to our phones instead of engaging in real conversations. I know this because I do this. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast is focused on creating conversations to promote spiritual and emotional growth through faith, apathy, and everything in between. So let's talk to each other. Yet more importantly, let's listen to each other. Let's continue the conversation. My name is Andy, and I have Winter Faith. Let's get into it. I am now joined my very good friend, a college friend, and we've known each other for several years, a theology student, a father, a husband, doing a lot of great things in the church, and specifically we're going to talk about grief in this episode and other things that we love. So uh, I want to welcome to the show my very good friend, Greg. How are you doing today? Doing good, Andy. Thanks for having me here today. I, I really like, I like in, in that episode, among yeah. others, you you were hitting on exactly the kinds of things that I like to to discuss and look at kind of kind of overturning the cultural you know stance on grief which which is not done well at all I think we have a, I think we have a horrible uh, view of death and grief as, as, as a culture um, like like one of the books that that really was formational for me was was Tom Long's book the Christian funeral mm-hmm. um, I I think we read it for Dr. Bland's yes. congregational ministry class. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Um, I have it right over here. Yep. Yeah. Like I've given that book to like five people and I'm always like, read this and then you have to give it back to me because this mm-hmm. book is awesome. But um, anyway, so that, that approach that you had, I, I really resonated with me and I really liked it. And to be honest, I, I didn't know any of that backstory that, that you kind of referenced there. I, I didn't know any of that had you know taken place. Not not that I should have. Um, what did I, I what did I talk about? Well, you you talked about your your first engagement not working out. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes, that's right. And I think that was important. Not not just because you know you're 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 being authentic and, and sharing part of yourself which is what your podcast is about. Right. But you, you did not take the, um, I think the expected route of talking about a death. Uh, you talked about grief uh, from a different kind of, of change. Uh, okay. I think all change causes grief in, in some way. Um, and so I, I thought that was very helpful um, to, to approach grief from that way and, and not just the usual way of, of someone died and now I'm, I'm mourning you know, that loss. So that's a, that is true. Like grief is, I really believe grief is basically grief is change. And that's yeah. something that was taught to me. Like the definition of grief is change. The definition of grief is feeling a loss of connection that you had. Yeah. And it's not just death. Like we really confuse that. So you would say, just with, with your experience, like people, when they think of grief, they just think of death. That's it. That's right. Okay. I, I think a lot of people do. And, and, the, and the problem with that 
is then when they have a different kind of change, you know, whether it's um, like, like my, my five-year-old um, just graduated preschool Tuesday night. And so he's going to start you know, kindergarten in the fall, which is great. But at the same time, there's, there's kind of a loss there. Mm. Um, or I, I had a teenager when I was a youth minister who was in a car wreck and came to me to, to talk about kind of how it had shaken her. And she was having some, some grief symptoms. And so I think the problem is that not only, like it's bad enough that we have a kind of a, uh, uh, a confused, uh, not very healthy view of grief um, when it comes to death, but then we don't even recognize the grief that accompanies lots of other change, like, like a move or a divorce or e- even, um, even like, uh, like, like something that's been a part of our life for a long time um, you know, like, like suddenly ceasing to exist. Like I am the kind of guy that when I get to like the second to last episode of, of a, of a a show I like, I will never watch the finale. Like I don't watch the finale of the office. I don't watch the finale of Frasier. I don't watch the finale of Seinfeld. I get to the second to last episode and I go back to episode one (laughs) because I cannot handle it. Wow. Um, like I'm such a pushover, but I can't handle it. And so, Well, that is funny. Um, so I have, I mean, I think you're spot on. Like I have a five-year-old who just finished, well, she didn't finish. She has like a, she's going to keep going to her, it's not really like a preschool, but she's going to keep going to her uh, school-ish when like all the way through the summer. Yeah. But she, they have a student from Russia and she's been just, I mean, our daughter's friends with everybody. Like, she can't comprehend not being friends with somebody. So this student is going back to Russia. And, I, like, I feel myself like, oh, that's so sad. You know, yeah. like, it's, and I'm, you know, that's just the way it goes. So, like, when I talk to my daughter about it a little bit, like, you can tell. And she has so much more emotional awareness at five than I had at, like, 20 20 (laughs) she'll just be like oh i'm sad and like culture has just changed i think better towards you know like what we're even talking about i don't know if um ministers talked about this stuff 10 15 years ago as much as we openly do now um and so yeah so that student's moving and and she's gonna be she's gonna be starting a new school in the fall yeah and uh the tv show thing my wife and i have a show that we just finished watching and it's like what are we gonna do now we yeah. have to like we're never gonna find a show i know as good as that one it's a loss yeah and it's a lot and then like you know two minutes later we find another show that now we're hooked on so anyways <laughs> that's just the way that's the crazy yeah you know, technology and tv and stuff we're in yeah the seinfeld um um reference is funny to me because I actually was, I remember going out to eat with you when we were in Memphis, I'm assuming one of our last semesters or something. We went and got barbecue. Our friend Travis was with us. I don't know if you remember this too well, but uh, we went out to eat and we talked about Seinfeld for like an hour. Yeah. And I was just like, I wonder how long it's going to be until Greg has a Seinfeld reference. And it wasn't too, we're like (laughs) two minutes in. So that was, that was quick. Oh yeah. But yeah, watching the last episode of that, I remember watching it. A lot of people didn't like the last episode, but oh yeah. But I mean, 
Like I, I actually just posted something. He, um, Seinfeld's really big on like meditation since he was a freshman in college. Hmm. He's always done, um, meditation. That's always been a big part. And he I did was, not know that. Okay. Yeah. He's talking about like how that brings so much balance to him and how that's been something as he was, he would do meditation like three times a day and stand up at night until, you know, he did stand up. I don't know how many days in a row. It was something like five years in a row or something when he was. Yeah. Well, it's so funny. I was, I was just watching, uh, this morning, uh, I finished, uh, for like the third time, uh, <laughs> that Netflix show, um, Jerry before Seinfeld. Yeah. Uh, which is terrific. Yeah, and it is. Back in his old club, where he got a start and he's talking about how he got started. Yeah. And he talks about how for like, for like 18 months, he worked seven nights a week, every week for, for 18 months. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I was watching um, his show, Comedian. Yeah, I watched that one too. 1997 or 1998, when he's like relearning his act. Yeah. It's so, cra- it's so crazy. I know we're both kind of obsessed with him. Um, and I'm just like, what is it? And I do feel like he's pretty thoughtful. And I try to mm-hmm. explain this to other people, but, you know, mostly I'm talking about like my family. Like they don't get how obsessed I can be with one person. <laughs> yeah. But it's just, like, he's very thoughtful. Like, I don't think he's like a super wise person as far as um, like spirituality, really. But I do think he has thoughtful stuff about life and pursuit, oh, yeah. pursuit of career. Um, he has a joke about people that are married but don't have kids. And he's like, it's, it's like being at the, it's like being at the fair, but not going in, you know, you might as well just have the kids like, you know, right. He has three kids and he was in his like fifties, I think before he got married. So he's like, yeah, I'll just do it. Like there's something, I don't know. That makes me happy that it's like, Hey, he was like this single guy for so long, but now he's doing the family thing. And I actually went to see him two summers ago. Oh man. And yeah. it was a lot about family. A lot about family. Well, he, he talks about that. Yeah. That uh, ever since he got married and had kids, his, his comedy has changed to reflect that, that he's no yeah. longer, he's no longer like the guy he was on Seinfeld, you know, the, the single guy that, that was a comedian that dated around and things like that. But I think the thing I love about Seinfeld is he's so dedicated to his craft. Yes. Uh, but that that Jerry before Seinfeld um, movie documentary, yeah. I guess, yeah, yeah, is uh, it 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 shows you why he is so good um, that he mm-hmm. would just hone his jokes and, and work night after night. And um, I remember listening to him on a, on an interview one time, and the, the person asked him, you know, if you could tell aspiring comedians, you know, one tip or one secret, and he said he said there's not one. Mm-hmm. He said, the secret is get out there and work. Right. And that's it. He said, if, if you think there's a shortcut, you're, you're, you're fooling yourself. Right. And I think that applies for pretty much all of life. Yeah. Like uh, our mutual friend and professor um, and preaching homiletics professor, Dr. Bland has part of his class where he talks about like preachers can learn a lot from stand up, yeah. like, cause it's all about communication yeah how do you get your point across and you can use comedy too much (laughs) in sermons 
right you know you can you can like i mean i you could have like i remember in preaching class <laughs> in undergrad you know where you have to practice preaching and stuff oh, yeah. and there would be somebody who went like you're supposed to speak 20 minutes and like 18 minutes were about his metaphor and talking about gladiator and like two minutes was the sermon like and a bible like, yeah, yeah. Like, we can't it can't be that way yeah, yeah. It's a lot of bad sermons sometimes in those classes. Not man, bad, I look not back, bad, but. Oh, man. <laughs> I look back on, on some of my sermons, like with Dr. Thompson in undergrad, and mm, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, they, were, they were pretty bad. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm glad I went into youth ministry first and, and you know, didn't have to just come out with that material because I, I don't think I was ready yet. So uh, what is, um, okay, you already mentioned this. So you're married. You have how many kids? We have two kids, two uh, kids, four, four and five. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Boys or girls? Uh, a boy and a girl. So Nolan nice. uh, is five, and uh, he's the one who's about to start kindergarten. And Madison is four. Awesome. Four. Yeah. And so, how long have you been? You've been doing youth ministry uh, for a little bit. What? Uh, I guess what led you to kind of where you're currently at? So. Um, I did youth ministry for nine years, uh, junior high youth ministry specifically, um, which, uh, which was a ton of fun. I, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I started that right after I, I graduated from, from Harding undergrad, um, had a great church and just really enjoyed it and, and got to do a lot of different things on top of youth ministry. Um, you know, unless you work at, at, at an enormous congregation, you're going to wear a lot of hats. Uh, as, right. as we all know, and um, so did a lot of different things, did some preaching, did some teaching, um, but, but mainly did a lot of things with the youth and activities and stuff like that, and um, uh, coming up on three years ago, uh, my home congregation where I had grown up uh, here in, in the Dallas area um, was, was sort of making some, some strides to better connect with their community and, and sort of launch, launch forward in some new things. And so they created a, a position uh, for outreach and evangelism uh, together and, and basically asked me to, to consider it. Um, and, and I did. And so my, my family and I ended up coming back here uh, to, uh, to the Waterview Church of Christ in Richardson. And um, so now, Dallas? yes, so Dallas. Just, it's just north of Dallas. Okay. Um, we are we are one block south of the University of Texas at Dallas campus, um, which is which is awesome. And um, uh, so here I, I do a lot of different things. Uh, I work with a lot of ministries that reach out to our community. I work with areas that focus on personal evangelism, corporate evangelism. Um, I um, I work with our small groups. Uh, I work with our greeters and guest ministry. Um, I work with our college ministry, just a lot of different things. And so um, every day looks different and it's a lot of fun. And so but we've been here about three years now and um, hope, hope to be here for, for a long time to come. So. so so you're doing a lot of different ministries and one of them is uh, grief ministry, would you say? Is that like an official title or just something you've, you do? So the, um, our, we have a grief support group here. Um, and um, that, that kind of falls under my, my oversight. I don't directly lead it, uh, 
But um, my, my interest in, in grief ministry specifically, um, you know, goes back really to um, when I was in under, or excuse me, when I was in graduate school, we had to do a practicum and with Dr. Bland and I, I chose to focus mine on grief ministry uh, because I never really looked at that a whole lot. And so I spent a semester um, you know, talking to people who had gone through a loss, um, talking to um, some people in the Dallas area uh, who, who work with grief kind of full time. Uh, one of those being um, Larry Barber, who is the director of GriefWorks in Dallas, if I can do a plug for them. Mm. GriefWorks is a part of Christian Works in Dallas. Um, wonderful organization. Probably the, the neatest thing they do is they, they partner with area churches, um, and churches can refer uh, families there for a, a reduced rate for that family. Um, and they do workshops and things like that. So GriefWorks in Dallas is terrific. And so I kind of mentored under Larry for a semester and learned a lot about grief. Um, and so my interest from that really became the intersection of, um, you know, grief theology, um, a theology of grief, and, and how that translates into uh, healthy, practical um, grief ministry, um, and how churches can do that better. And so that's kind of where my focus has been the last, I don't know, five or six years is, is doing that kind of work. Now for a quick commercial break. Yeah. So, what do you what do you think makes grief ministry so difficult? So, grief is one of those things that um, it it's one of those things that it's all encompassing. Um, when we go through a loss, and, and like we mentioned earlier. It, grief accompanies more than just death. Um, it could be a move, a divorce, um, you know, losing a job, many things like that. And grief, I think one of, one of the problems that grief presents is that we tend to approach it as, as kind of an emotion. Um, grief is sort of like anger or grief is like um, sadness. It's just another emotion. And we treat it like an emotion. Um, and we don't, we don't acknowledge the fact that grief is sort of a, a state of being and that it's all encompassing. Uh, it, it affects us psychologically, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And, and two, a lot of the ways that historically we have approached grief from a, from a ministry and a counseling perspective is to treat it sort of like an illness. It, it's, just, it's something you might find in the DSM and we're going to treat it with different methods or medicines and eventually the person will get better uh, and if they don't then then you know we're, we're not doing something right mm. um and so one of the things that that larry barber sort of exposed me to which has really um kind of changed me in a lot of ways um is uh dr alan wolfelt um who is based out of um colorado and he has kind of pioneered the approach of companioning, uh, which um, maybe some of our listeners have, have heard about. But instead of treating grief, you, you companion someone in grief. You, you essentially walk with them. Mm-hmm. You affirm and validate what they're feeling. You give them space to share. I, again, a lot of the things that, that you've talked about in some of your other uh, podcasts. So I think that's been a big thing. I think another thing that makes grief difficult is 
uh, our aversion to pain as a culture. Um, and, um, you know, that we, we want to repress it. We want to stifle it, which I certainly, uh, have, have experience in. Um, and so we, um, we, we don't want to acknowledge it. And so that, that grief tends to bubble and simmer and then it reveals itself in more destructive ways later, uh, that, that might not be related on the surface at all to our loss. They, they come out in the form of addictions and habits and, and things like that. And sometimes it takes work to realize that, what that's really coming from is a, a loss that, you know, that happened long ago. Um, and then I, I think the other thing I would say about grief is, especially in a ministry context is that as, as church leaders, we need to realize that grief ministry starts long before someone has died. Um, my, my kids play this game in the car where one of them will say, look, a fire truck or something out the window. And the other child will look and say, where? And then the first kid will say, oh, we already passed it. And then they laugh because they think it's so funny. And then everybody gets mad and dad has to pull over and all those kind of things. Um, but I, I think there's, there's a connection there where if, if, we are, if we are deciding at the moment that someone has experienced a loss, if we're deciding then as a church or as a minister that it's time to, uh, you know, portray God a certain way, to, to remind them that God is loving and compassionate and, and walking with them and comforting. If, if that's the first time that we're really bringing that up or that's the first time that this person is thinking about God in that way, in a sense, we've, we've already passed it. Mm -hmm. um, it. It's too late. Um, we will look to whatever kind of God we have raised up in our churches long before. Um, so grief ministry starts before there's a loss. Um, and so, you know, we, we, we need to make sure that the, the kind of theology that we have behind our understanding of who God is and how God ministers to us in loss is, is well established in our regular teaching and preaching so that when that loss happens, um, we're, we're not suddenly abandoned trying to figure out what, what God is like in that mm. moment. Yeah, one of the first, I think it's, I don't know, like my third podcast I did, I talked about like the five best things you can share to somebody grieving and the five worst things you can share to people grieving. And I do agree, like, you know, just talking about churches and church leaders and out of what we teach in church, we probably teach it to our family or vice versa. Like we have to have a really good theology of God to understand yeah. a healthy theology of God. Like if you look at, you know, just going to um, the Exodus story, God hears and, and feels the pain of his people in Egypt and then he acts, he acts on that pain. God acts on that pain. And so like, I do think there's a very influential book for me that was um, The Suffering of God by Terrence Fretheim that Dr. Fortner gave it to me. And um, like just this idea of like who, like who God is and yeah, that ministry that is healthy under, like has a healthy understanding of suffering. Um, and it's not just suffering to suffer, but it's to grow and learn. Like, I don't think God wants us to stay in the pain. Like God wants us to acknowledge the pain 
and God wants us to work through it. Um, you, you've shared before about this idea of a cross shaped grief ministry. Yeah. Um, and you know, we, the most, well, I don't know if it's the most commonly said verse, but people know Jesus wept, you know, from, from the book of John, Jesus wept. And so what is that about? Like, how could Jesus cry, you know? And, and how, you know, like, what does that, what does that mean? What does that mean about Jesus? What does that mean about God? Could you maybe talk a little bit what you mean? I'm really, yeah, I just, I really like that phrase, a cross shaped grief ministry. What does that mean? Um, well, I guess to give some credit, um, I sort of stole that phrase a little bit from Michael Horton, um, who writes obviously out of the Reformed Church. Um, he talks about uh, all of our um, all of our trials are cruciform um, in, in Christ, and so I, I sort of adopted that, and, and basically I think that applies to our ministry. All, all ministry ought to be cruciform. Um, real, real quick, just for people that yeah. are theology uh, nerds like ourselves cruciform what is what is this word some people yeah, so, have never so heard of that really just means cross-shaped um, cross-shaped okay it, it is a way to to sound smarter than you really are um, <laughs> any word that makes me sound smarter without the work i i like to commandeer um, cruciform okay simply saying cross-shaped and, and really yeah. and obviously when we say cross-shaped we don't just mean the cross we also mean the, the empty tomb that follows it um, but essentially what it means is that, that all of our ministry work um, ought to be informed by what we see happening at the cross, uh, followed by the, the empty tomb. And I think John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept, um, is one of the most, if, if not the most, um, uh, powerful verses that I think ought to inform our understanding of what God is doing in our grief. Because as, as you just said, it, it seems very counterintuitive for the Son of God to be weeping um, as, as he's on the way to raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, why, why is Jesus stopping to do this? And um, when I began to really look at this verse and, and John 11, John 11 has become probably my, my favorite chapter in the whole Bible because of what it reveals about what God is doing when we're at our lowest point. Um, and what it says is that even as God is taking us to a place of resurrection, which in John 11 is, takes place in that time. Um, it's sort of as if time has been compressed, you know, um, Tom, Tom Long talks about when you read John, you need two watches, uh, one watch for man's time and one watch for God's time. And they sort of overlap in, in John 11. Um, but I think also it, as, as God promises us a resurrection and, and all things new and no more tears, he also takes the time to, to mourn with us now. And so when, when we look at John 11, I, I think the biggest thing that, that it shows us is that we worship a God of permission. Um, and, and obviously not permission in a sense of, you know, rampant immorality, you know, this is, you know, Romans 6, you know, shall we go on sinning? Not, not at all like that, but a God of permission in terms of the way that we respond to our grief. Um, grief is a God-given gift. Uh, Philip Yancey talks about the gift of grief uh, in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? And he talks about the role that pain plays in 
informing us and keeping us safe and keeping us healthy and helping us grow. Um, but, but in John 11, as, as Jesus is with Mary and Martha, there, there's, these, there's these two moments in that chapter where Jesus deliberately pauses. He pauses at the beginning before going to Bethany. Um, and, you know, intentionally. And so when he gets there, Lazarus has been in the tomb four days. Um, and the, the other time he pauses is he pauses on the way to the empty tomb, or, or excuse me, to the, to the tomb of Lazarus. And he pauses to weep with Mary and Martha. Right. And I think what that shows us is that God, God is affirming, um, the, the difficulty of living in our broken world. Right. Um, he acknowledges it. the existence of death. And, and even the, the Greek that's used there for, um, he is deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The Greek word there is also used to describe the, the snorting and, and pawing of horses. And so it's, it's, this, it's this frustration and, and, in a sense, this, this anger uh, that, that things are the way they are. And, you know, um, anger is simply not being happy with the way things are. And so that's why there's a lot of anger as a part of grief where we're not happy with the way things are. And, and Jesus not only relates to that, but he stops to, to, to mourn with um, all those who are there. And I always imagine, like, for those other Jews who had gathered there uh, to comfort Mary and Martha, to imagine what it was like for them to to observe Jesus mourning with them, uh, even as he's on the way to, uh, to to raise Lazarus. He doesn't tell Mary and Martha to just have a little more faith. He doesn't give them some cliche of, um, you know, uh, well, one day this will all get better. Or, he's or in a God, better place. Yeah, God has a plan. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't even wink and say, like, well, watch this. You know, he, um, he, he does what I think is one of the most revealing things about God. And he, he weeps with them mm. uh, and then goes to the tomb and raises Lazarus. And so, so John eleven thirty five to me is a, is a huge verse in terms of what, what cross-shaped grief ministry looks like, where it, um, uh, it, it acknowledges the loss and, and all the things that come with it. It, it companions the person who is grieving, um, even as it, as it looks ahead to, to the promises that God gives us. I love that. Like a G I, you should write a book about this, the Jesus shaped, you know, grief ministry. I mean, that is awesome. And I think that really brings life to John 11 that I hadn't thought about, which is that Jesus is grieving with the community. What does that say about the character of God that he allow, you know, you said so many great things in there, but that he gives us permission to be where we're at. He gives mm-hmm. us permission to be angry with the way things are. God gives us permission or maybe even encourages it to just be in a state of anger, be in the state of sadness. And that he wants us to do that in community. We weren't, we weren't made to, to <laughs> grieve alone. That's right. A lot of people they're, they're, that are grieving alone. Yeah. Grief is very isolating without a yeah, doubt. Um, absolutely. Because we all grieve differently. Right. Um, 
our grief is informed by, you know, an infinite number of past experiences and, and the kind of loss and just all those things. And, and it can be very isolating. And yet, as you, as you pointed out, you know, Jesus embodies community as he yes. comes alongside us. Um, and I, I think that's, I think there's a lot there for us to, to work with in terms of how we minister to others. So let's get, I'll get, I'll get a little bit personal. Like I think of how this, I still, I was thinking about this today, I guess, just cause I knew I was going to be talking with you about grief. Um, at my grandfather's funeral when I was in, let's see, how old was I? I don't know. Shoot. It's crazy how you can't remember this stuff. Maybe like sixth grade. That might be wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I think it was before high school. I think, I think, yeah, I don't know. Fifth, sixth grade. Um, my grandfather died and I knew him. It wasn't like I didn't know him or any, you know, I remember him, had a lot of good memories with him and how I remember at the funeral, like I didn't cry. I didn't, I mean, I was not like, I was young. I think I was at least under 13. I know that for sure. And like, didn't really know and how I didn't have a lot of emotions. Like I was pretty stoic. And I think it's because, like, well, I didn't really know. I didn't know anything yet. Like, I I mean, it wasn't like I didn't love him or I didn't care about him or I wasn't, like, for whatever reason at that funeral, I didn't, I did not, I don't remember crying. Now I can think of other funerals um, or memorial services, whatever, you know, like the memorial service, I don't know if you knew uh, Quentin, uh, we call him Q. Q. Yeah. His dad, his dad came to Memphis, Tennessee, when I was in grad school, right after he died, and he died young, um, under thirty, or maybe right at, you know, I think yeah, I think under thirty. Yeah, he was a fellow had, student. Yeah. I knew him. He was a fellow student. I knew him in undergrad. I knew him in grad school, and I grieved a lot. I cried a lot, a lot, a lot in the HST chapel that day and like having his dad there was powerful yeah having his dad there was powerful were you, i don't know were you at that i don't think I, you were. I, I remember that that loss uh but i was not at that funeral no so you know but i do i think like grief builds off of past grief and it's shaped and so at that point in my life like i really needed to grieve a lot of stuff and that that one really 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 hit me yeah, like people were commenting on like how much I was crying. I was like, I don't know, you know. And it wasn't. It was like a mature understanding. It wasn't like they were like shaming me or anything about it. It was just like, oh wow. And I I remember talking to um, a, another student and just telling her like, yeah, I just feel like it's everything is connected in this event. So that I think I'm grieving everything. Yeah. So those are just some personal stories for me about grief. And, and obviously I have way, way more. I worked as a hospital chaplain for two years. So all I did, all I did for two years was basically talk about grief. And now I work at a shelter where I see a lot of people experiencing homelessness who are grieving, but really have a hard time expressing it. But when they do express it, it's, it's in community. 
it's always in community when stuff comes out I, or not always, but a lot of time community brings stuff out cause you get sharing. And when that comes out among these men and how much they've gone through, I mean, those are some real pain and tears. Yeah. So that's different than, you know, Harding grad school experience, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, both of them God's working in and it's, it's awesome. Absolutely. Um, so I know you're personally affected by, by grief and I just wanted to give you an opportunity just to share your experience with grief and, and share as much as, as little as you want, but, but you know, how God has helped you heal or ways that, you know, haven't helped you heal. I don't know. Just, just anything you want to talk. Yeah. I thought that'd be important. So, um, when I was 13, um, my dad and I were on, I was an only child and my dad and I were on, um, a, a bike rally and in, in the summer and lo long story short, he, he ended up, um, having a heart attack while we were on the, um, the rally. Now we weren't together. I was, I was ahead of him. Um, and I think one of the last things that I said to my dad at like our last water station was, um, I said something like, see you at the finish old man or, you know, something like that. And I always, I, I, I think back on that fondly, like that my last thing with my dad was a joke and he probably said something similar back to me. Um, but I, I got to the end and, and a police officer had to find me and, and, um, said that my dad had suffered a heart attack. And so we, we went in the police car and they had already called my mom and we picked her up and went to the hospital where they had taken him and, um, to, to find out that, that he had, he had passed away. Um, and so, how old were you? So I was, I was 13. Uh, this was back in 98. Uh, so just, I had just entered into my, you know, my first teenage year. And um, I was going into um, eighth grade that fall. And, uh, and you had mentioned this on, on another one of your podcasts, um, that there's a lot of it that I don't remember. I just kind of remember it in, in snapshots. Um, and so a few of those things that, that I uh, remember, um, I remember when, uh, when, when we were in the, the waiting area, and um, the doctor came in and, and told us that he had died. I remember his word choice. Uh, he, he didn't say he had died, which would have been, I, I think, the best way to say it. He, he died. Right. Uh, he didn't say he passed away. Um, he, said, he said he expired. Hmm. And, you this know. This was I, the doctor? Yeah. And, he, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really have any negative feelings toward this doctor. I mean, he, he has a hard job. He has to deliver news like this. I know he was not in a good place while he did this, but that was such a, a callous, you know, mm. distant word. Like, you know, you, you use it for um, like your driver's license or, you know, some, some lunch meat. Um, and, you know, it's, it, you know, I, I laugh at that now. Like it's, you know, yeah. it's something I like to poke fun at because I think it, it is something we need to realize the semantics of grief. Yes. Um, but I remember that distinctly. Wow. I, I remember um, waiting at uh, a window, looking outside, waiting for my grandparents to arrive. Um, because, you know, when you're a kid, even a teenager, when something is bad, grandparents can always make it better. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember waiting at the window for them. And I, I remember just time moving as slow as it had ever moved before, just waiting what felt like. Wow. And I remember one time I saw this uh, sculpture. It, it was a, it was a, a, a human form made out of like thick wire. So it was hollow, but made of wire. And he's, he's sort of kneeling on the ground, but the entire um, sculpture is filled with, with heavy stones. And so the sculpture itself is sort of illustrating just like the, the weight of life. And, and, and the sculpture is sort of like this, this guy trying to get up, but he's filled with these heavy stones. And to me, that, that's a great analogy to grief is grief weighs us down. It's very heavy mm-hmm. and, and time just moves so incredibly slow. Um, I remember um, being at our house in the, in the days after that and, and literally probably hundreds of people coming by our house um, from our church and our family. And I spent pretty much all of my time back in my room. I, I had just bought the, uh, uh, the uh, Windows 98 game Shadows of the Empire. Uh, so there's, there's a great Star Wars connection. I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. And um, I literally played that game for, for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, looking back, it was my, it was my coping mechanism. Right. I, I in, engrossed myself in this fantasy world. And even now, even now, when I, when I can hear music, you know, from that game or, or see that game referenced, like it, it takes me back in so many ways to, to that time. Um, sure. And uh, the last thing that, that I remember snapshot wise was um, like I said, this was start going into my eighth grade year. And like the first day of school, I, I was I was so not wanting to go because I was I was curious how many of my friends even knew what had happened, um, and school was going to kind of be my escape, you know that I can just go to school. I was in band, I can you know focus on all that. Mm-hmm. And the first day of school, I was sitting in class, and a friend of mine from from across the room sort of caught my eye before class started, and he did that he did that really loud whisper where everybody could hear it and it would have almost been softer if he had just talked in a normal voice. Um, and he, he loud whispers across the room, uh, trying to be polite. Did your dad die? Mm. And, and I just remember thinking, well, that's it. Like this one place where I could go to not be the kid with the label, you know, that that's the kid whose dad died over the summer was, was, was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, nothing is, nothing is going to be the same now. And so, um, that, that was my, my first, you know, obviously big loss when I was 13. Uh, and I, I would go on to have several more, um, uh, in a, in a 13 month period when I was 25, um, I, um, I lost an aunt, uh, suddenly I lost my grandfather to, uh, to ALS um and um and and watched him you know go through that in in about six months um and then i lost my mom um that that same year um to 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 a heart condition and so um all all of those things together um you know obviously were, were were turning points for me and i i think the moment where grief finally became 
real for me and something to address was several months after my mom had died. Um, and I was sitting at home and it was a Saturday. And, and I remember for whatever reason, I, I just felt this immense sadness and I was even, I was even crying and I, I could not for the life of me explain where this was coming from or why I was reacting this way. And, and I remember I told, you know, my wife, Andrea, I said, I just kind of want to, I just want to be out with people. And so we, we went to some places and, and finally it, it was, it was my wife who said to me, um, she said, I think, I think you need to see a counselor. She said, mm-hmm. I think that, I think your grief is catching up with you. I think were her words. Wow. I think God was speaking through her in, yes. in a powerful way. Um, all the grief that I had repressed all the way back from 13, when I was 13, had, had finally caught up to me. Because, um, I mean, I, I, you know, Paul says he was the chief of sinners. I was the chief of repression. Mm. Um, I, wow. I had just bottled it and bottled it and bottled it. And so I did. I actually, I went to, to GriefWorks, which I mentioned earlier, and uh, met with a counselor there for several months. and. I mean, really finally dealt with all those things. Um, it's sort of like, you know, cleaning out a drain where all the stuff that you didn't know was in there comes out and things can finally flow freely. Um, and it was very helpful and very cathartic and very uh, necessary. And, and, and from then on, my, my understanding of grief, I think really, I think God had, had, had sort of set this trajectory for me where now, when people talked about the need to companion somebody, the need to acknowledge your grief, John eleven thirty five, like all those things. Now I was in a position now for those things to really make sense to me and, and affect me. And I could grapple with them in a way that I, I couldn't have done before that. So that's kind of, that's kind of my you know, experience with those things that, that kind of brought me to, to where I am now. Well, I appreciate you sharing all that. I mean, we've known each other for several years now. And I mean, I don't think I've ever asked you about that. I don't think mm-hmm. I ever, you know, knew not to that detail, certainly. Yeah. Part of your story. And if you're like me, all that like repression, all those memories, all those experiences, I'm guessing make you like want it, it motivates you to help others yeah yeah um i remember um andrew baker at harding uh, yeah I, I don't know if this is unique to him but but he said one time he said we minister best out of what burdens us most Ooh, that's um, a good line. it's a great line yeah i, I wish i had thought of it um <laughs> i have to give andrew baker the credit there um mm. but i i think that's really true and so you know i, I think for for me um, helping people uh, be faithful in their grief and, and, and understand more of what God is like and, and all those things c- comes out of that burden that, that I have. And I, I, I don't feel any, um, you know, I, I don't feel any uh, regret uh, or, or anger toward anybody, you know, looking back like, oh, you know, I, I wish my mom had helped me grieve better. No, I mean, you know, my mom was dealing with the loss of, of my dad. 
Um, I had just turned 13. And so who, who knows how to help a grieving teenager? My goodness. Um, and, um, you know, I don't, I don't have any, uh, ill will toward her at all. Um, I, I think if I had gone to something like GriefWorks, I think it would have helped a lot. But again, you know, in, in so many ways, uh, grief is about it's survival. Post, post loss is just survival day to day. The initial, um, shock. Yeah. The initial shock yeah. is about survival. Yeah, it, I agree. I agree. It, um, you know, and, and, and that's so your like, body. That's what your body's meant to do. It's meant to right. like, I'm going to survive this. And then we go somewhere from that right. survival. That's right. Um, and, and so many of the things that we do, um, you know, to survive are, are almost instinctive. You know, we don't even realize we're doing them. They're, they're subconscious. Um, but it kind of goes back to kind of what we talked about earlier that, um, in those moments, um, right after a loss that that's why trying to give somebody a theology lesson post loss is, is so not helpful. Um, <laughs> right. we, yeah, we, we, right. Will, we will revert to a preexistent understanding of, of God because it's, it's all we have. And if, if the, if the view I have of God is that God is, you know, distant or God, um, I think, I think one of the biggest things that, that we can misunderstand about God is that in times of any trial, whether it's a loss or, or just anything at all, that we can have this idea that God is sort of like a parent with his arms outstretched, you know, waiting for his child to, to take the steps toward him, you know, learning to walk. And so we, we can have this idea that God is on the other side of this trying time. Mm -hmm. And he's simply waiting for us to, to make it through, to toddle our way through. And then he'll give us a big hug and say, yeah, you made it. And I think a lot of us have that view of God. And man, if, if John 11, among other things, tells us anything, it's that God, God is not waiting, uh, that God is working. That yeah. God is right there um, with us. In, next in next the, to you. Yeah. God's right next to you. I love that. Yeah, God's not like on the other side of the fence. Like, okay, once you get past grief, then I'll hug you. Yeah. Like, God, God's right there. And I think it even goes to this idea and I just, I think it's really, really hard to unteach this, but that I'm supposed to be happy. Yeah. That's I think right. it's, just, it's just like super simple sometimes. Like I'm not supposed to be angry or sad. I'm just supposed to be happy. That's, that's right. What the, that's what the Christian life should be. And it's like, no, you're supposed to be authentic. That's what the Christian life should be. We, um, we we very much tie um, level of faith to uh, grief reaction to where if someone like like you mentioned and I can relate to that if someone is being stoic yeah um, or they're just you know sort of bucking up under it we tend to say well they have a strong faith um, yeah if they're not handling it well if they're being very emotional we tend to say. Um, well, you know, their, their faith is weak. Um, yeah, yeah. boy, that, that is, that is such a dangerous place to be. Yeah. That's, that can be pretty harmful. Yeah. I think, well, yeah. this is, oh, man, this is so good. 
lot of great, great stuff. I think people are going to get a lot out of this episode. I really do. That's not what it's all about, obviously, but I'm just yeah. saying, I do think it's helpful. So um, I want to kind of, you know, end with some of this. I think this will be fun. You mentioned Star Wars. So I'll do a quick commercial and then have a, a, a story and you can uh, respond. So I actually have a Star Wars and spirituality podcast with my friend Ian, who loves, loves Star Wars. So we're going to have to have you on there for sure. We'll That'd have be great. That would be really fun. And talking about memories, you were talking about um, the video game that you played when you were 13 and how that was like your coping mechanism. My, my guess is you have like super strong emotional attachment to Star Wars, which I do too. And when I saw The Force Awakens, I went by myself. I didn't want anybody to be around me. Like I knew the, I knew the theater was going to be packed, but that was fine. So went and sat by myself and the opening credit, cause you know, it'd been a long time since Star Wars had a movie that I, you know, that I was looking forward to. And this was The Force Awakens, Go By Myself. I'm in Memphis, Studio on the Square, great movie theater, downtown Memphis. And the opening credits, when I hear the music, you mentioned music. When I heard the music of that, just tears. Like, because it was, yeah, I mean, I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah. Because it was incredible. Like, I saw all those movies with my dad. Watched all the, you know, all of them when I was young. The prequels came out to the movie theater right when I was in, in high school. You know, perfect time to see all those. And just like that emotion. And like, you know, people can say whatever they want about my Star Wars fandom i have a star wars poster right here behind I, me i see that well um, what, so. what you haven't seen yet is right over there <laughs> the giant stormtrooper yeah, storm uh, there but just like that emotion is it's happy like it's healing to go like those are tears of like joy which people are confused by but it's like that emotional attachment to a movie it's not because of the the movie like the movies are great but it's it's about like what it represents like childhood yeah my father and now one day sharing it you know with my son i hope you know so all that stuff yeah i don't know if you had any fun star wars uh story oh yeah no i um i i have a lot of commonality there my my dad and i uh loved star wars growing up um i still have the uh, original uh vhs box set of four five and six with the fancy the special edition or the original? Well, no, no, like the original. The original. Uh, awesome. Before they went in there and messed some things up. Um, yes, yes. And well before they went to the prequels, which we do not need to be mentioned here. <laughs> um, but anyway, like, like you, uh, my attachment to them uh, is very much related to my dad and my uncle as well. Uh, we, we watch a lot of... Um, um, Star Wars together and now my own kids my own son mm -hmm. you know w without me my 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 uh my wife Andrea I think claims that that I've I've you know sort of worked to make him a Star Wars fan and I insist right. he was just born with it. it's innate <laughs> um, he, just, he just decided he liked it and um but um um yeah all, all those movies are 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 holding a special place, but, but always uh, four or five and six will hold um, the, the most special place in my heart um, because of, of, like you said, what they represent. Think, thinking back to, 
to growing up and things like that. So this has been really fun. Have you enjoyed it? I appreciate you coming on and sharing everything. Oh man, I've, I've had a blast. Um, you know, Chris, Chris Altrock said that was his first podcast. This was my first. And, oh, uh, great. Glad. Really enjoy it. Yeah. Making history. Today's artwork was done by Dominique Frazier. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox. The music you're listening to, Josh Cleveland. And the creator and editor and producer of the Winter Faith Podcast, yours truly, Andy Frazier. Well, you did it again. You spent your time listening to my show. You probably could have spent this time playing games or binging Game of Thrones on your phone. But instead, you spent it with me, so I thank you for your time. If you haven't already, then subscribe to the Winter Faith Podcast on Anchor. If you haven't already, please leave a review on iTunes with good, bad, or ugly feedback. Also, please consider supporting the show on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Okay, my commercials are done. Andy, out. <laughs>